Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. O death, where is your sting? Christ has risen from the dead. Amen? I didn't hear that well enough. Amen? Good, good. This is the Sunday that we have been anticipating. We are celebrating with Christians around the world today the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came as, as a humble child to a poor family. He did not come to royalty. He did not come to some rich family that had had it all together. In fact, he came to a family that was practically homeless. And it confused so many people. They were looking for something different. And he also died in confusion because people were looking for something different. But he was doing absolutely what he came to do. And this is why, for for those of you that don't share our faith, let me tell you, we have an agenda. I'm just going to be open and clear. Our agenda is for you to understand why we love our Lord so much. But instead of berating you, instead of knocking you over the head, instead of screaming screaming at you on a corner, I want His love to flow through His Word and sometimes, miraculously, through my sinful being and other sinful beings into your life. That's what we want. That is our desire today. Because around the world today, there's so many that are celebrating the fact that Jesus did not stay in the grave. Jesus' death that day was planned by the Father and was carried out by the world. And it was a real payment for your sin and my sin. It was a payment. You're sitting today, not you know, not among a good churchy people. If you look to your right and your left, and do it quickly because you don't want to make them all paranoid. They'll take it personally. But you are sitting amongst a bunch of recovering sinners. And we're not just talking about, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to do my devotional today. I repented of it. No, we're talking about sin. We're talking right is right and wrong is wrong, and we do what's wrong. And the greatest thing is we go to a Savior and say, forgive me, and He does. And then He tells me, don't do it again. Get better at that. Don't repeat that same sin over and over and over again. Stop that. But He gives me that forgiveness, and that's what's so amazing. We're a bunch of saved sinners, and that's why we're so happy. When Jesus' resurrection happened, he was already Lord of Lords. He was already King of Kings. People just did not know it. He was already the Redeemer and Savior. People just did not know it. He was already the Creator. People just did not know it. By his resurrection, he completely affirmed all these things. Every single thing that was ever written about him, every single thing that that had been done by him, every, every single thing that had been spoken about him was affirmed by his resurrection. If you can defeat death, then I would think, I would assume that people would listen or pay attention. 
And with his death and resurrection, it did something else for us. It opened up access to the Father like never before. It was denied before. You had to go through a priest. You had to bring a sacrifice. You had to, do, you know, you had to go do the ritual bath before you even got into the temple area. There are so many rules that prevented you from ever getting to the Father. But on that day, when He died, that curtain was torn. And we now have access to our Father in heaven. We don't have to go through anybody. You don't. You just pray, Father, Abba, Creator, Jesus. You pray whatever you, to the one and only God that there is. It was that He was holy and righteous. That He died for us. And we couldn't be there with sin. But in the same time, that Creator craved fellowship with His creation. That was us. That's why He sent His Son who hung on the cross and who literally felt forsaken by God. And some of you may even have that feeling today. Like, man, I'm just... God could never forgive me for what I've done in my life. No, God could never do this. Our life will never be the same because of what I did. And Jesus took that thing that you may be thinking about, He took that to the cross. And He completed, He completed our lives through His resurrection. He is the pioneer of our faith. He hacked His way through the jungle of life to the promised land. He made a path for others to follow, for you and I to follow. And that path is there for us. It has pains and troubles along this path. Becoming Christian doesn't mean all of a sudden all your pains and troubles go away. If they tell you that, they're lying. That's just not how it works. It's not an easy path. It's scary out there in the jungle. You hear scary noises. I was up in my attic this past week and installing a whole house fan. And why I decided to do this project myself, I don't know why. But I'm up there, and all of a sudden I hear this noise. This... And I'm like, it scared me. I'm like, what is that? And then I realized what it is, and then I had my cell phone with me, and I'm calling my wife, Turn off the heater! I'm standing right next to it! Turn it off! <laughs> That's how the jungle is. There's noises, and sometimes we feel like there's nobody to call, but guess what? God is, is the person that we call and say, Help me out! I'm in trouble! Do this for me! He's our Savior. See, the path is so clear that when we die, we know where we're going. We know that we're going to heaven. And for those who have accepted the grace, those that have put their faith in Him, for those who have done, you know, what the kids are going to do after church today, they're, they're going to put all their eggs in one basket. I put all my eggs in one basket upon my Savior and my King. That's where my hope, that's where my belief, that's where my life is. And somehow, through my sin... Somehow, through my everyday living, He forgives me, and that's the path I'm on, and that is where I, where I put my eggs, that's where I put my hope. That is what we're celebrating today. All our eggs in one basket, the basket of Jesus. That He died and He rose again for us. 
These are the simple realities that give us hope. That because of his tremendous sacrifice, there is now so much grace that we can you know, access. That we can be forgiven of terrible sin. And since Jesus really defeated death, we also will re- defeat death. We have this tangible hope that those who have gone before us and we ourselves will be absent from this body and our spirit will be with the Savior. That is what our beliefs are. Well, let me remind you of the history of, of this week and where we're at. And for those that have you know, been reading along with some of the emails that I've sent out a Passion Week, you know that Jesus on Friday was in the tomb. During the spring of 8030 or 31, right in there, right during Passover, on a Friday afternoon, they arrested Christ, they tried him, they beat him, and they killed him. And they put him on the cross, and then they took him off. Holiday weekend was coming up, and a wealthy man had a meeting with the governor and the, got permission to take down his body. Pilate is literally surprised that Christ is dead. Usually crucifixion takes days. In a matter of six hours, it is finished. And he calls the centurion and, that, that had stabbed Christ and basically interrogated him. Okay, he's really dead, right? He's dead. I don't want, this issue's got to go away. I don't want this issue anymore. He's dead, right? And the centurion says, yep, he's dead. So he gave them permission to take possession of the body. They took the body, purchased fine linens and about 100 pounds of spices and wrapped Christ's body up and placed Jesus in a tomb that, that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. And the tombs back then were, were caves and they placed Christ's body in a cave and they rolled a large stone in front of it. Both Marys were watching this happen. So they knew exactly where Jesus' body was. The next day, the evil man who executed Christ, or evil men, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, met with Pontius Pilate and demanded that the soldiers be placed in front of the tomb because Jesus had talked about being resurrected. In three days, I will be back. Put, put somebody there. We, we want this issue to go away. Everybody wanted this issue of Christ, Jesus, the one that called himself God, to just go away. Does that sound like the world today? Just go away. So they sealed the tomb with a Roman seal. Basically, it's like putting wax around the edge. And they put a big old stamp in it. And on the price of death... If you broke that seal, you would be executed by the Romans. It's not a minor thing at all. So then Sunday morning comes along and a Sabbath holiday is over. So the ladies are going, okay, you know, it was a rush to get Christ into the tomb and wrap him up and put all those spices on him. We really want to go back and we really want to do it well because our Savior, he's the one we worshiped. So they go back. They're going to get all those little things done. But when they got there, a powerful earthquake happened. And they found the, ro- the, the stone rolled away. And an angel was sitting on the stone, just sitting there like nothing to do. 
And the guards were on the ground, you know, somehow, presumably, knocked out. And then the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and he's going, to, going ahead of you to Galilee. Then you will see him. Now I have told you. And he sends them on ahead. So the scriptures say the women that were, were very happy. And then they were a little afraid at the same time. Have you ever been there where you're kind of like, you're really glad about something, but you're kind of afraid at the same time? This is how they were. So they go and run and tell the disciples, and, and Peter and John run to the tomb to see for themselves. And all they see is the linens just laying there. And John writes that the cloth that was around Jesus' head was folded neatly. And then they left and gathered back together at somebody's house. So then Jesus starts, you know, appearing to people all over the place. First to, to Mary Magdalene at the tomb and, and then to some of the other women and, and then to Simon Peter and then to, you know, a group on Sunday afternoon. Then to the ten of the disciples and, you know, Thomas was absent there for a while and the whole deal of like, well, until I see him, I'm not going to believe it. Then to Thomas in Jerusalem along with the other disciples. Then the disciples, Christ had gone away, and disciples went to Galilee and went fishing. And then Jesus appears to over 500 men. And you calculate that up, what happens? You add in the women and children. You're talking over 2,000 people he, he appears to. Then to James, and then to apostles and, and his friends. For 40 days he does this. And then lastly to the three apostles at the ascension. And from all these accounts... These were more than just ghostly appearances. These are more than just what you see on, on Discovery Channel and some of these channels where, you know, the, the, you know in the 80s, I grew up in the 80s, go, you know, Ghostbusters, okay? You know, these are more than just the, the shows today where these guys got all these scientific instruments and they go into a house and they're like, did you hear that? It's more than just that. Nothing like that. He even sits down and eats with them. He is just real. He's not just this, this fog surrounding them. He hung out with them during the day and during the night sometimes. So many people saw him for 40 days. And during these times, it was written that he opened the scripture and he explained to them about his resurrection. He explained to them, let me explain what the word of God has to say about what I just did. And we need to sit with this because, because Jesus defeated much more than just death. He hung out with them after he fe- defeated death. There are enough eyewitnesses to drive people crazy who want to dispute the story. Without the witnesses, this is an unbelievable story. Completely. On one occasion, 500 men... 2,000 people. He appeared to the whole group. So many that it was hard to dispute this. So it doesn't take that much faith as you would believe. The faith that it takes is to understand that what happened was for you. That's where the faith steps in. It was for you. That the death of somebody else paid for that sin. Paid for the wrongs that we do in our life. And the resurrection of somebody else proves your resurrection into the kingdom. 
It means nothing unless we have faith to believe that he did this for me also. Let's put to the, the notion to rest that, that we can't believe because it was so long ago. That we can't put stock in, to witnesses. Way, I mean, that, way, you know, that was way too many years. I, I just, I'm not sure. Because if this is the case, then I can't believe that Abraham Lincoln was president, much less assassinated. Why do we believe this? There was eyewitnesses. John Wilkes Booth, he broke his leg. You know, there was a, the Dr. Mudd was his name that, that helped him out. He was in prison for a while down in Florida. There was eyewitnesses. That's why we believe. It is a fact that John Wilkes Booth assassinated Abraham Lincoln. I believe it because there was eyewitnesses. Let's look at other history. You didn't realize you were going to get a history lesson today, did you? I believe that Brutus killed Caesar. Why do I believe that? It's commonly accepted by by the known world, basically. Why is that? Because there was eyewitnesses. He did it on the steps to to their their senate. I don't believe it because there was a video of it happening, because there was no video. No, there's eyewitnesses. So now we go back to Jesus. Because there's recorded history from multiple eyewitnesses who saw it. That Jesus was walking around and talking with people. And one of the most convincing evidences about Christ's resurrection, other than the eyewitnesses, is that all throughout the first century, no one was able to refute the resurrection. And they had money, they had a power, they had authority, Yet they could not effectively refute this. Why is that? Too many people saw it. They couldn't. In fact, the beginning the, you know, of, the, of the enemy of God saying that it did not happen started right after what? When the disciples died? No. When their children died? No. It started when their grandchildren passed away. That's when the refuting started happening. Because it was far enough along to say, well, I'm not really sure. Just like we could say, well, Abraham Lincoln, I'm not really sure. That's when the enemy started this. And if you think, well, somehow the Bible just kind of survived, but not these other writings, then consider this. The Roman and Jewish governments had lots of money. So where there was 30 copies of the Gospels that, you know, different bits and pieces that might have been made or that, that, that survived with different little bits and pieces that survived, where they could have made a few copies here and there because it was all hand copied, the governments could have made thousands upon thousands of copies of documents that say, this man never lived. This man, let's refute this. And it didn't happen. Yes, it takes faith but it's a reasonable faith. The resurrection of Christ happened, you know, around 30, uh, you know, around 30 AD. And we don't know the exact date, uh, but, we do, uh, but we do know the exact date of the writing of the book of the first Corinthians. First Corinthians is the first book that was written that talks about Christ's resurrection. Most of us think Matthew because Matthew becomes, you know, is first. Now that's just the way they laid out the, the Bible is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But first Corinthians was the first one that talked about the resurrection. And while we don't know the month that it was written in, we do know the season. It was written in spring of A.D. 55. And I won't go into all the details and all that, but it's accepted by practically 99% of the scholars that are out there. 
much, you know, brighter than I am. A lot more education. So do the math. Say, you know, you were at the resurrection. Christ in AD 30. You were there. You talked with him. You saw what happened. So now it's AD 55. How old would you be if you were 20 when Christ was resurrected? You didn't know we were going to do third grade math, huh? You'd be somewhere around 45. Okay, good. I, I knew that was, that was all your answers. I understand that. Now, the book of Mark was written around AD 60 to 65, probably the early 60s through that. Acts was written around AD 65, and Matthew was written around, you know, AD 62 to 72, somewhere right in there. So you're around 55 years of age when all these books are being written, and, and you see a lot of people who, who say that Jesus was, was still alive, that he resurrected. And thanks for the, you know, for the Romans, because they put all the Roman roads out. They did all the construction. The word spread like wildfire. It could be copied and published and distributed within a year. So all these books start hitting Galilee 30 years after the resurrection of Christ. Since people saw and experienced the resurrection. So let's say, for the sake of argument, okay, that all this is just completely made up. What would you do if you were quoted in one of these books? What if Matthew said, this happened in your town? And you were sitting there going, wait a second. I lived in that town. What, what did he say? Well, well, my name's in there? You mean they quoted me? And they said, this happened? No, 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 no. I was there. It didn't happen. That's what you would say. Don't tell me that that, that you know... We'd be offended. We'd speak up, wouldn't we? Say a book is written in 2026 saying September 11th didn't happen. You know what I would say? I would say, whoa, 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 wait. I saw it on TV. I can tell you the exact moment, the exact time. For, for, for many of you of the older generation, JFK. The exact moment, the exact time. I would say, no, 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 no. The Twin Towers, you said they were in San Francisco? No, they were in New York. They weren't in San Francisco. I lived in the Bay Area at the time. Come on, what kook is writing this stuff? I would say, I have a friend named Mark Vigers. The government actually sent one of the planes to pick up him and his team, and they actually went to New York and searched. I seen the pictures. In fact, he's lost 35% of his lung capacity because of it. So don't tell me that it didn't happen. That's what people would say. That's what I would say. You would make noise about it. But no one in the first century made noise about this because it was, it was accepted. This is amazing evidence to me. It was accepted. In Acts chapter 2, 50 days after Passover, we'll call it Pentecost. Penta, 50 days, okay. Pentecost is seven weeks Later, and the Apostle Paul is full of the Holy Spirit and he preaches one of the most amazing sermons and it's all about the death and resurrection of Christ. And at the end of the sermon, 3,000 devout Jews. And how do we know they were devout? Well, Passover just happened and they all traveled to, to, to Jerusalem and now these guys are coming back. So, I mean, these guys, they, they're devout. They, they, they follow their religion. They follow their beliefs. And 3,000 Jews at the end of this sermon asked, what can we do to believe? Here's my point. 
If the resurrection hadn't happened, you wouldn't have 3,000 devout Jews in the same town, town listening to Peter seven weeks later. Instead, what would they be doing? They'd be doing what I like to do. They'd be laughing at him. Now, it's common knowledge to, to everyone that Christ was crucified and resurrection, uh, resurrected. And all Peter you know, does is tell them why. This is where faith had to step in. When you, see, when you, when you have 2,000 people who have seen Christ after his resurrection, you have all these people that have seen this. And what do they do? They go out and they tell their family and their friends. So where am I going with this? It is a reasonable faith. What is difficult is for us to say, because he died on the cross and resurrected from the dead, he saved me for my sin, and I'm going to heaven. That's where the, the jump of faith comes in. In Acts chapter 4, the same evil group that crucified Christ was still at large. Now, some of the guys had, had started to, to uh, I said at large, still in charge. And some of these guys had started to believe. I mean, some of the priests, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. So the Sanhedrin were, were not in a very good mood at all. And, and, and the, you know, the rulers of the Jews, the Sanhedrin. So Peter and James heal this guy, and Peter start now preaching. And because everyone has heard the story of Christ, it's easy back then for, to have people start believing. So the Sanhedrin calls them in and threatens them. And they tell these two guys, you just need to shut up. Okay, we don't say that word, do we, if we've got little kids around. But that's what they tell them. You guys, you just need to you just tone it down, stop talking about it. And what does Peter do? He flips it around and he puts the Sanhedrin on trial. And they preach to the Sanhedrin the death and resurrection of Christ. To the Sanhedrin, the people that killed Christ. And even the Sanhedrin doesn't respond in anger. They don't go, he wasn't resurrected. We have the body. Why? Because his body is not there. He was resurrected. So what do they do, these educated guys? They tell them, just shut up. These lawyers. And they just leave. So in Acts 4... They are fearless, Peter and James. So now in 1 Corinthians, remember, 1 Corinthians is the first book written about the, the, the resurrection. And this is really where I'm going to be is verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you, have re, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise, uh, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and according to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time most of whom were, are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then all the apostles, and the last he also appeared to me, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. 
See, the Apostle Paul is a recovering Pharisee. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. And this is like most of us. I am what I am today because of his grace. Grace was not without effect. Grace is not empty. Now down to to verse 14 where he talks about how Christ has to remain, you know, the focused. Above everything, it is about Christ, even if it offends some people. He doesn't sugarcoat this. People want to know the truth. Don't be embarrassed by the topic or tiptoe around it. It is fact for us. And if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ had not risen from the dead, we're just empty, fruitless, vain, useless, pointless, like an empty gas can. If Christ had not risen, we're just a shell. It all hinges on the death and the resurrection of Christ. Verse 15, more than that, we have found to be, uh, found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, if in fact, the dead ha- are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Think about it. If Christ is not risen, then we still need to pay for our sins that are in our life. If he is not risen, how can we pay for our sins? Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only this life, we have hope in Christ. We are to be pitied more than all men. See, this is where faith really comes in. We bank on the fact, did he or did he not resurrect from the dead? We rely on this fact, and this fact keeps us going. But here's the deal. We are not just good people. We're also the people who rest in the reality of the resurrection. We allow the Holy Spirit to keep us, to keep our faith in us. Paul says in verse 32, we should go out and get drunk. Why? Nothing to believe in if this did not happen. But in verse 20 he says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. See, first fruits is a is a Jewish, Greek, and Roman concept that they would have all attached to and would have would have totally understand understood. But we need to kind of explain it a little bit. The first fruit is the first fruit of the harvest that is edible. Not just, oh, it's whenever we pick it. Because we do things weird. We pick stuff when it's green nowadays, you know? And it gets delivered and it ripens along the way. No, the first fruit is we go out there and we pick it off. This is the stuff that's good. I can eat it right here and now. That was the first fruit. And Jesus was the first fruit. And we are the rest of the harvest. Death was our, our, our enemy. But now we are in the harvest. In the end of, the, of that day when we die, we don't have anything to worry about because our faith is in Jesus Christ. The la- verse 26 says, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Down to verse 51, it says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We are not at all asleep, or we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... 
For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must be clothed, or, or must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal of the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the moral with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And he sings this song. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then He wraps up to His brothers and says, verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor, that that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So today, as we go out and we do our Easter traditions, and some of them I just don't get, why have an Easter ham on Easter? If you know anything about the Bible on ham and pork, I just don't, yeah, I mean, we're not under those laws, but it just it cracks me up. Even the word Easter, if you, if you want to go into the word Easter, I mean, yeah. Some of the traditions we have, the eggs and the Easter eggs, you know, those are all traditions that, that have been Christianized. They don't come from a Christian foundation, but we've changed them to, to represent God sometimes. But it's nothing compared to what He did on the cross. And it's truly for us. It's truly for you. You are the reason He created this world. You're the reason He walked with Adam and Eve. He wanted a relationship with you. When sin, when sin entered into our lives, He started a plan. You are the reason he put his plan in action. You are the reason he was born on this earth, came as an innocent baby, and was put on trial, though he was innocent. He took all the negative things about your life, every single one, and believe me, I can have pages of negative things about me, and probably about some... Okay, just joking. Because we all have negative things. Some of them are so obvious that people go, yep, that's negative. And some of them are hidden away and only you know about, only I know about. But he takes all of that and he covers it up. He took the worst things that you have ever done and he paid for them through pain and suffering. You were that reason. And today, we come to an understanding That when we come and ask for forgiveness, He gives it freely. It's an amazing thing. You were the reason He died on the cross. So He could have that wonderful relationship that He so desired with you. And all you need to do is believe. Believe that He rose from the grave. He didn't stay in that burial chamber. He didn't stay dead. He rose. He awoke. Because He truly, truly loves you. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't go through this without thinking, wow, 
I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Is that how some of you feel today? You understand what I'm saying? Because we look at ourselves, we look in the mirror, or we avoid the mirror, one of the two, and we go, man, I'm just not doing it right. And he goes, you know what, Alan? That's okay. I'm going to help you do it right. I'm going to help you along the way. That's why I gave you my Holy Spirit in your life. All you have to do is believe. I did that as a child. Now, I don't do this that often. But maybe some of you out there need to reconnect with your Lord. Maybe you said, you know what, I've been avoiding it because I look at my sin in my life and I go, I, I, I can't approach God. I can't, I can't start reading the Word. I, I, can't, I can't go to church that often. I can't do all these things because look at my life. And Jesus says, I'm not looking at that. God says, I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at who you can be because of my grace and my mercy and my forgiveness. And maybe some of you, for the very first time, you're sitting there going, I want to know why these people are happy about a guy that died. We're happy because he rose from the grave. If that's you today, if you need to reconnect or this is your first time, raise your hand because I want to pray for you. It's not that big of a deal. Raise your hand. Okay, okay. Good. You know what? There are many wonderful Christians here at this church. If you need to talk with me or one of the elders or one of the mature Christians around here, talk to us. Because we want to help you reconnect with your Savior. Or we want to introduce you to Him. One or the other. Let's pray as we continue to celebrate Him. Lord, You are the King of kings. The Lord of lords. You reached out your, head, you know, your arms across the sky and You created everything. And then you created me. Such an amazing thing, Lord. I'm so thankful that even though I have sin in my life, that I'm acceptable to you because of the sacrifice that happened on that cross. That there is power in the resurrection. There is power in knowing who you are. There is power in believing that you rose from the grave. I pray, Lord, for those that, that need to reconnect with you today that you lead them down to a path and uh, that that path is, is a straight and narrow path. That that path leads to, to, to a relationship with you that is just so amazing. Something maybe they've never experienced before. You provide people along that path. People to direct, people to, to sometimes even rebuke us. People to be gentle with us, but people to show us the way to you. For those that have, have never believed in you, Lord, I pray that today they start to believe. That they walk out of here changed person, a changed man, a changed woman because of your blood. Your blood that was spilled. Your blood that, that cried out for this world. And we're so thankful that you rose from the grave. Lord, I pray that the rest of this day is just a wonderful day for all of us. That as we go to celebrate and, and gather family and friends, that, that uh, you know, our conversation may be lighthearted and, and fun, but we may also get around to talking about you. Because we love you so much, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May his grace and mercy overwhelm you.
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.